Uh, I just want to spend a couple minutes with us in God's Word. Um, we're in a series, kind of a mini-series, just Love Came Down, and, and we talked about why Jesus came last Sunday, and tonight I just want to continue that theme. And if you turn over in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to John chapter 12, we'll be referencing that eventually. But um, one thing I notice each year as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas every year is that there's less and less, uh, you could say, clarity about why we celebrate the birth of Christ. It seems to get lost somehow. The Christmas clarity we once knew seems to get lost. And we begin asking ourselves, why do we celebrate the birth of our Savior? And starting really in October, from that month on, this season just turns into a flurry of activity and cares and concerns, and it seems to clutter out uh, the main emphasis of Christmas. Now, I know all you who are here tonight are spiritual, so you don't have that problem, but personally, I do sometimes. I just get caught up, you get busy, you get, even today, just preparing for this evening and everything, and you, you stop and you have to pause and you have to say, hey, wait a minute, what is this about? What is this truly about? And, and one of the things that we have throughout the Gospels, if you study the Gospels at all, you'll notice that Jesus himself gives us clarity on why he came. From the lips of our Lord, over ten times, he says something like this, For this reason I came into the world, and then he finishes the sentence. Over ten times he says this. And what he is saying when he says that is, this is the reason for Christmas. This is the reason for the season, you could say. This is why I was born. He gives clarity to what Christmas is all about in his own words. For instance, and you don't have to turn there, you just listen, but in John chapter 6, back a couple chapters, verse 38, he says this, For I have come down from heaven, and then he gives us the reason, not to do my will, but what? The will of him who sent me. So he clearly came to fulfill the Father's will. Over in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, is another example of these 10. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be, what? Served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to be talking about that one tomorrow. See, this is why Christmas exists. This is why we celebrate. This is the reason for the season. In John chapter 18, he gives another, in verse 37, this is when he's questioned by Pilate, and he says, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Then he says this, for this purpose, from the lips of our Lord, he gives us the purpose, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. Why? To bear witness of the truth. To bear witness of the truth. To the truth. Repeatedly, over and over, Jesus says that this is the reason I stepped out of eternity. This is the reason I stepped down into time. This is the reason, Jesus says, that I, I wrap my perfect righteousness and my perfect holiness in human flesh and was born in Bethlehem. For this reason, over and over, he tells us. Now, we, we celebrate a lot of things this time of year, and it's 
A lot of it's tradition, a lot of different ways that people celebrate during the Christmas times, and that's fine. I'm all for that. But if we don't celebrate that which Jesus says is the whole reason for Jesus' coming, I think we've kind of missed it, especially as believers. It slipped past us. We've missed the whole point. Uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the reasons Jesus came was to call sinners to repentance. During Christmas time is the time as believers we should be celebrating repentance. And you say, well, what is that? Repentance is simply a gift from God to us. Repentance, you could say this, it means a change of of heart. It means a change of mind about something. In the case we're speaking of here, it's about God's free gift of salvation through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the way that we can be, another word, reconciled to the Father. What does that word reconcile? Reconcile means simply to be Restored to friendly relations with someone. To be restored with friendly relations between two people, two parties. In this case, us and God. Why do we need that? Because God has, our our sin has violated God's holiness. And so we are not just naturally reconciled back to God. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ brought us the opportunity to change our mind about who God is and about who Christ is and about what his sacrifice means, to repent, if you will, turn from our sin and turn toward Christ. Turn from our sin and turn toward the Savior. And Jesus said, he said, I didn't come for good people. Now you might be here tonight and say, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus came for everybody. Well, he did. But he didn't come for good people. You say, well, why not? There aren't any. You got it. There aren't any good people. There are no good people. There are no good people in comparison to the perfect holiness, the perfect righteousness of God. No one adds up. There are no good people. There are no righteous people. The Bible declares that in Romans. There's none righteous, no, not one. There are no holy people in and of themselves. Now, I'll grant you, there are some people in this world that think they're holy. (laughs) There are some people in this world that lift themselves up, they elevate themselves up to make it look like they're holy, they're righteous, they're, they're good. And maybe the world looks at those kind of people and says, well, yeah, there is some goodness in them, and there may be. But in comparison to God's holiness doesn't even compare because the bible says simply there is no good people and he says later on he says i've come not for the healthy he didn't come to heal those who are healthy that's what jesus is, is saying i've come for who he came for the sick he came for those that needed saving those that needed a savior in luke chapter 5 He explains this. The Pharisees are grumbling and the scribes are grumbling against Jesus and his disciples. And they're saying, well, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners if you're so holy? 
And Jesus answered them, and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Common sense. He says, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I didn't come for the righteous. Why? Because there are none. I didn't come for the good people. Why? Because there are none. I came for sinners. And there's a lot of them. Because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And what Jesus was saying is, I came for everybody, and I brought with me the opportunity for you to be reconciled back to God. Through my life, through my death, through my resurrection, you have the opportunity to turn from sin, a life of sin, a life of darkness, and turn toward the Savior. Turn toward Christ. Put your trust in Christ and not in yourselves. And so we celebrate that Jesus says, repent. That's the way to life. Well, there's another reason for the season, which Jesus clarifies for us in our text in John 12, verse 46. He says there very clearly, he came to bring light into the world. Another reason he came was to bring light into the world. We celebrate the the idea that, that Jesus brought all light into the world. In John 12, verse 46, he says, I have come into the world as light. This is Jesus speaking. So that whoever believes in me may not remain, where? In darkness. I want to raise a couple points here when it comes to darkness. Um, Would you agree with me that darkness can be really, really frightening? I don't know of any kids or children that ever told me, oh, I'm afraid of the light, Pastor. Please don't turn the lights on. I'm afraid. No, don't turn the lights out. They're, they're, they're afraid of being in the dark. Almost every child is terrified at some point in their life of darkness. And even as adults, I would say, you know, we don't really enjoy darkness. My wife would beg to big, uh, differ with me sometimes because in the living room, you know, I'll be watching something and say, turn all the lights off. You know, Why do you always like it so dark? <laughs> so I can see the TV. <laughs> But I don't like darkness. I don't know many adults that like darkness. I don't know many people that go down to San Francisco or even San Jose to watch a ball game or a hockey game or go out to dinner and say, hey, dear, where are you going to park? I'm going to find the darkest alley I can and park my nice car right there so when we come out and it's really dark, we can go and, and find this place of darkness where I park the car. Most adults would not do that. As a matter of fact, they do just the opposite, don't they? They pay 50 bucks to to find a well-lit parking garage that they know they're going to be safe in. Why? Because bad things happen in the dark. Bad things happen in the dark. If you've ever visited California caverns or any cave for that matter and you've gone on a tour and they get you in there right here with a bunch of people and they get you in there and they get you in a certain room and they say, okay, just to let you know, we're going to turn out the lights for a couple seconds, just to show you what utter darkness is like. And I remember being there, and they hit that switch, and it went dark. And I'm like, whoa, 
I mean, you hear everybody go, <gasps> it's like nobody's breathing. And I'm going like this, can't see nothing, nothing, utter darkness. It's the kind of darkness that sticks to you. You know, it's all over you. And the greatest experience of those tours is what? When that guy hits that switch, right, and turns the lights back on. It's like, and you feel the people start to breathe again. They're relaxing. Wow, there's light. The best part of the tour is when they turn the lights back on. You can sense the relief of all the people. They're glad it's over. Why? Because people don't like to be in darkness. I've never heard somebody on one of those tours go, can we do that again, please? No, they're all like, let's get out of here, you know, before he turns off the lights again. It's frightening. Darkness can be very frightening, but also darkness can be really, really frustrating at times. If you've ever tried to do anything in the dark, if you're a mechanic and you're trying to work on your car and you don't have the proper lighting in the dark, or you're alongside the road and you're trying to change your tire in the dark, very frustrating, very frustrating. Especially if it's the first time you've ever tried it in the dark and you don't know really what you're doing. Just a little bit of daylight, you know, just when you're changing your tire on the side of the road and just those cars going by, just trying to catch the, the beams for a couple seconds as they pass by. You're trying to hurry up and get it done so you can do it in their light. Just a little daylight could have made all the difference. It could have made things a lot easier, a whole lot better, a whole lot less frustrating with whatever task you're trying to do in the dark. Now what physical light, listen, what physical light does to dispel fear and frustration for us, spiritual light does as well. Spiritual light. And Jesus says, what? I am the light and I have come into this dark world to be the light. To bring light, to dispel darkness, to dispel fear and frustration and all the things and nightmares that happens in darkness. Jesus came and said, I want to do away with all that. So I'm here as the light. Look at this verse again. I have come, he says, into the world. I've come into the world. This is, this is Christmas. This is why we celebrate the birth of Christ, his incarnation. This is what we ought to celebrate during this time of year. The coming of Christ. I have come into the world as light. And then he states why. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now we have to know that this is easier to understand. This statement here that he makes. It makes it a little easier to understand when you can comprehend what he said a little earlier. See, John records a little earlier in chapter 8 something that Jesus said. I mean, we're all the way down in in chapter 12. Well, if you go back to chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. He's speaking to these people, and he's already said this, and this is where he says it in verse 8. Or, uh, verse 12 of chapter 8, he says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, and here's what he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, you don't have to look too far to see that Christmas is when we celebrate light. 
I mean, you look around, there's light. We don't have this up all year. I'd like to keep it up all year just so I don't have to put it up again. And I'm sure the ladies would agree with me, but, you know, that'd be a little tacky, right? I had a sister. She, she would decorate. I think she decorate a couple times in her life. And the last time she decorated, she said, you know what, I'm just going to leave it up. And she did for years, for years. <laughs> but it was always cheerful to go and visit her because she'd see all the de- decorations up. But Christmas is when we celebrate light. Anything that doesn't move has a light on it. You know, houses, cars. People have sweaters. Anybody here have a sweater tonight with lights on it? They have little battery-operated lights on their sweaters. Um, this time of year, we drive around neighborhoods. I'll probably take my wife out after this service and drive through some neighborhoods and look at what? The Christmas lights. That's what you do. It's all around us. And Christmas is a great celebration of light, and it's always been that way. Always. From the very, very first Christmas it was lights. Think about it. The shepherds were out what, in the dark fields mining to their animals and sheep. And what? The light and the glory of God shone around the angels and lit the whole place up like a Christmas tree. And they went, whoa, what is going on here? And even the wise men, the wise men who probably came a couple years later, you know, they weren't in the manger with Jesus and the baby. They came years later. But they, what, they followed a light. They followed the light that was shown to them to show them where to go to find the Messiah as a young boy. And of course, the greatest light of all is who? Is the one who was born, right? On that very first Christmas. The, the celebration of Jesus as the light of the world. What Jesus says in John chapter 8 When he says, I am the light of the world, you have to understand the context here. When Jesus says this, um, it makes a lot more sense when you understand the context. Because what's going on here? In John chapter 8, it says that Jesus is in Jerusalem. And you know what's going on? It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this place is packed with people. Because it's a big deal. Huge gathering. Kind of like a Mardi Gras for the Jewish culture. You know, everybody comes. And there's a particular ceremony during the Feast of Tabernacles. And John says, this is when Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Well, what was was going on in this ceremony? This this ceremony is called the, the illumination of the temple. This is an actual ceremony that they do. And obviously, they didn't have electricity, so they didn't have lights like we do. So what they did, it was a very big deal. They would have these huge 70 foot high poles. And they would put these, um, on top of them, these, these massive torches. And uh, historians say that each torch may have held up to five to ten gallons of, of petro- some kind of fuel to keep it burning. And the priests, just to give you an idea how, what a big deal this was, you know, they had to have some way to light these torches. And so they would use old priestly garments. They would use robes as a wick. I mean, you know the wick on your little candle, the little tiny wick? Well, they used an entire robe as a wick. So it gives you the, the grandeur of these, these torches and how big they actually were. And they would go around and they would light these. And it was at this time that they're lighting all these torches up. And historians tell us that, that it lit up all of Jerusalem. 
That's what a big deal this was. It was at that time, as they're lighting up the the temple, the temple illumination, that Jesus stands up. And he says, what? I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the whole world, not just Jerusalem, the whole world. And that would immediately connected with the people there because the temple illumination ceremony was depicting two things to the Jews. Two things. First of all, it was celebrating what God had done for Israel in the wilderness, those 40 years when they were wandering around in the wilderness. Remember what God did during the day? He was what? He was a cloud, remember? Because they had to go where God wanted them to go, and so he gave them a cloud, and they followed the cloud. And what was he at night? A pillar of what? Fire. He led them by light. And so they were celebrating that. What took place? How God just didn't leave them out there in the wilderness by themselves in the darkness. He provided light for them. He promised to lead them. He promised to guide them. He said, you know, I'll light, the, I'll light it all up for you. Don't worry. You're not going to be out here in the middle of nowhere in the darkness. That's the kind of God we have. But it was also a celebration, not just looking back to what happened in the wilderness, but to looking forward. Because as Dave just read, there was a Messiah that was promised. And they needed to understand, well, who is this person going to be? What is he going to be like? Well, as we heard in the scripture, he is definitely predicted to be a person of light. That's in chapter 9, verse 2 of Isaiah. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so the Jews were looking for a person of light. Jesus, in the midst of this ceremony, with all these torches being lit, lighting up Jerusalem for miles to see, with the ceremony of looking forward to the Messiah, who would be a man of light, he stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. Wow. I mean, a little context just opens things up, right? It's amazing. He says, I'm the one you're waiting for. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me, whoever believes in me, whoever trusts in me, whoever surrenders to me, You won't stay in darkness. You don't have to worry about the fear. You don't have to worry about the frustration. But they will have light on them, the light of life. It really punctuates what Jesus meant when he said, I am the light of the world. He meant when he said that, I am the light of the world, two things. He said, first of all, I'm the light that overcomes darkness. I overcome darkness. And secondly, I'm the light that conquers death. I overcome darkness and I conquer death. This is what Jesus was communicating to us. So he wants us to understand that he came so that we could celebrate repentance. And he came to bring light into a a dark and sinful world. And if you're here tonight and you've yet to put your faith, your trust in Christ... 
I would ask that you would cry out to him. Ask him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because if you don't understand the mere fact that (laughs) repentance is a gift and you need it, you need that change of heart, you need that change of mind toward the Savior. Because remember, we said there's no good people. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We all, at some point in our lives, need to cry out to him and ask him for forgiveness from our sin and promise to live for him and follow him and not ourselves any longer. Father, we thank you for these words from John. And Lord, we just pray as we close off our service tonight with a couple songs and candle lighting, Lord, that you would just minister your grace to our hearts. Lord, if there's any here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I ask now that you would do that work, that you would draw them, that you would show them the whole reason that all these places are lit up and Christmas decorations everywhere. It's not just a fluke. It's part of your plan to remind everyone that my son came on this day to give you life, life eternal, if you'll come to him, if you'll trust in him, if you'll follow him, if you'll surrender your heart and your soul to him. You won't be disappointed. God will save you. He will turn you into a person that now can experience that relationship with the Father because you'll be covered by His righteousness and His holiness. Father, we pray that you would just bless our time as we conclude this service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.